Hey, welcome back, listeners. Another episode of Escape from Plan A for you. I'm your host, Chris, along here with Teen. What's up, Teen? Hey, what's going on? And a very special guest, a returning guest, although it was like, I think, over almost 100 episodes ago. Josh, you may know him from Twitter and fair.org. How are you doing, Josh? I'm doing great. Um, Why don't you tell the listeners just a little bit about who you are in case um, they don't know. I think a lot of our fans probably follow you on Twitter and such, but in case they don't. (laughs) So my name is Josh, and I'm currently a freelance writer. Um, I primarily write for Fairness and Accuracy, or also fair.org. And um, I mainly do media criticism. I'm not really a journalist, but I've I've tended to focus on uh, Russia and China in recent years simply because uh, that seems to be the hot topics that everyone is raging about in the past few years. Yeah, and that's precisely why we wanted you on this because, I mean, obviously, I mean, it's all, it's been, news has been nothing but Ukraine. And, uh, you know, there's like a lot of stuff that's hard to figure out. Uh, But the thing that at least interests me most in my, I feel like my, not my area of expertise, but, you know, kind of the thing that I can at least wrap my head around. There's a lot about geopolitics I don't understand, but I do kind of understand just, you know, like American media. And you, you said that you, you know, a lot of the criticism you do is on it. And there was a recent tweet of yours that, that really, um, like, spurred me to, to try to bring you back on again. And, and this happened, I think, let's see, this your tweet is dated March 12th. So this is over a week ago. But this was when that uh, Michael McFowl guy... Is that, is that how you say his name? <laughs> um, but he, he was uh, the former ambassador, right? American ambassador to Russia, one of the architects of Obama's whole like Russia plan. And he and a whole bunch of other people like started like defending Nazis. Um, Josh, you should explain it. You, I mean, you're more of the expert here. So can you tell listeners what exactly happened? Um, I wouldn't really call myself an expert, but um, one, thing I th- one thing that I saw last week was... Um, a bunch of liberals started starting to whitewash uh, Nazis and well, not not really Nazis per se, but the Nazi presence in Ukraine. And some of them started making like weird arguments, saying that like Putin is worse than Adolf Hitler. And I mean, yeah. you don't like really real arguments, hist- like from Rachel Maddow, I think is like one of no, the- it wasn't Rachel Maddow because like because I got oh. I got some of her annoying fans saying that like oh it's not really her because she's on vacation, but like it was her blog. So I think the average. <laughs> okay. So I, mean, I think the average person can be forgiven her for thinking it was her, but um, she, it, she, it, she, and then she endorsed it. No, she didn't really endorse it. It's just that no, multiple it, people. It, I think her blog. she did in the sense that if she's going to let, she's going to give the keys of to her to her blog account, which is verified and blue checked. I mean, that's under her name. You know, like that's a pretty serious freaking charge to put on that to put on that account. One difference between Putin and Hitler is that Hitler didn't kill ethnic Germans, German speaking people. Putin slaughters the very people he said he has come to liberate. It's insane. <laughs> this is completely insane. Like, anyway, sorry, this, go on. I, th- I think what's funny was that uh, McFall, or uh, as some people call him, McFail, also, uh, <laughs> he also like straight up just said like, oh, he. I think he acknowledged in a later tweet that like um, when, he, when he sort of apologized, he's just like, oh, I didn't realize he also killed Germans. I, I should open the history books more. I'm not sure if I'm remembering that quite correctly, but that's um, – it was just so funny that this guy just – makes like extreme arguments without knowing what he's talking about and <laughs> if you're going to if you're going to compare like every evil villain that the US media wants to demon that the US media wants to demonize you should at least to Hitler you should at least know something about Hitler in World War 2 if that's the only frame of reference you have but uh mm-hmm. yeah so so just why, why do you think 
they're motivated to do this, um, especially liberals, because there is. I I read this article today. It was on the Atlantic by David French. Um, you know who's like kind of full of shit, but still he. I mean, I, I think his overall argument in the article is kind of kind of dumb, but he points out an interesting fact. It said that about like fifty six percent of Republican voters think we should side with Ukraine, whereas like seventy six percent of Democratic voters think. So it's like this is like liberal bloodthirstiness, and why why do you think that is? Um. I realized recently when I was thinking about this topic that like I've just never had this emotional like hatred of Russia because um the to go back to to be a little autobiographical like um I remember in 2011 I was in high school and there was this like epic speech showdown between Mitt Romney and Obama and o- oh yeah, yeah Obama, I remember that yeah Obama owned him and like saying that, like something about horses and bayonets and saying that like the cold the foreign policy of the Cold War is like has been over for a wa- for a while now. I've just never viewed Russia as a threat, but like flash forward to like the 2016 election, I've never once believed in Russiagate. So like Mm -hmm. to me, like I've just never had this emotional hatred of Russia, but like if you're a liberal and you believe that Hillary Clinton, your queen was denied the presidency because of Vladimir Putin's meddling, then I guess I could sort of understand why many Democrats would hold some resentment towards Russia for that. And I think many people forget about that, but I don't think it's, I think it's important not to forget that. Yeah, because like the thing, like like that Romney thing that I remember that because that was the second debate between Obama and Romney, and that was a really important debate because uh, I don't know if you guys remember, but the first debate between Obama and Romney was widely seen as this like dismal performance by Obama, and Romney got a bump, and then Democrats who were feeling very confident uh, were a bit shook after that. So then Obama came out swinging, and one of the one of like like the haymakers that he landed was in. Uh, yeah, Romney said he thought Russia was the biggest threat. And Obama's like, no, it's ISIS. You know, like the Cold War called. You know, they want their uh, foreign policy back or or some lame joke like that. So you would think that Republicans would crow and be like, yeah, we were right. You know, fuck you, Democrats. And the Democrats would be the one kind of being embarrassed, like, oh shit. You know, maybe they try to downplay it. And but it's totally reversed. And I do think that the the RussiaGate thing probably played a, a big factor in it, right? Yeah, I also think that like. I think a lot of Republicans are like following Tucker Carlson's lane in the sense that um, they do they they're not really like anti-imperialist, they're not really anti-war, but they just think that you should divert your resources more strategically, and they think that you should not really attack Russia too hardly because you want to save your resources for China. Since uh, right, right. So okay, let's talk about these right wingers. It's very, very interesting just to see what's going on because w- there was like the the sanction vote right in in the in the Senate. Or Congress, or, or or whatever, and I think there were only eight people who voted against, and they were all Republicans. And it it was the the you know the infamous crew, you know the the Mar- Marjorie Green Taylor, Taylor Green, whatever her name is. I thought two Democrats also opposed it. I think Ilhan Omar was one of them. Am I am I wrong? In okay, all right. That? Well, okay, that that would make sense if she did that. But I, I saw somewhere that they said it was only was Lauren Bobert part of it. Yeah, yeah, her. Yeah. It's it's that whole clown car crew, and but it's like, and then you you. You watch uh, Tucker Carlson. You listen to Candace Owens, and sometimes they're the ones making way more sense than these, like as I said, uh, just liberals wanting to go berserk. Um, so, what do you think that is, Josh? What are your thoughts? Um, I mean, I do think there's kind of an incentive for Democrats in particular because I mean, I don't know about like the average Democratic voter, but the Democratic Party establishment, like the politicians. Um, they're not really handling COVID and the economy too well, so they kind of need a foreign diversion. And um, you could, if you could just start fear mongering about Russia and like 
beating your chest something about uh how Putin bad and you need to do something and how we can't really take we can't really afford to take care of people during the pandemic because we have to focus on sending our scarce resources to Ukraine. So I do think that it's also a convenient distraction for the Biden administration to start focusing on Russia so much. And a lot of Democrats, they're very lo- partisan loyalists. For example, like you don't really see too many people call like for Republicans, there's this term called Rhino, like R-I-N-O, like Republican in name yeah. only. And like they're always trying to denounce their, their leaders to go for the most crazy Republican ever. And like I think there's some saying about like how Republicans fear their base while Democrats scorn theirs. Oh yeah, I've heard that and, before, yeah. And um yeah, the Democrats are not really like challenging their party too much. They think you should be loyal to them. They think criticism of the party establishment is almost tantamount to treason, sort of. No, and, but though in this case, the Democratic base is, is fully in line with what the Democrats are doing in terms of stoking, you know, more hostility. Right? So they're the the liberals are uh like based on that article Chris, that you linked are much more heavily in favor of escalating this war. And, um, you know, I think Candace Owens had this tweet that I thought um, compared, I thought it was interesting comparing her tweet to George Takai's because Takai was actually like, he, he, he actually was interned himself, right? And uh, was it him or was it his parents that were interned? Was he a child? Well, it was also him. Interned? It was also him, right? Okay. So uh, he he had tweeted something about like, can we, uh, has anyone checked to see if Tucker Carlson is a foreign agent? Right? And I was like, okay, I understand Tucker Carlson is a right-wing white guy, but like you're saying this based off of his political beliefs. So I, I was expecting that he would maybe have like learned a little bit more of a principle from his, that experience to not say that. And then Candace Owens had a tweet, uh, a series of tweets, where she kept reiterating. She's like, if I wasn't clear enough, uh, you know, the way that we've been treating Russians, uh, you know, internationally is shameful and nobody should be made to answer for the government. I think she was talking about, you know, a a host of like the Medvedev, uh, the the tennis player, the the guy who won the US Open, um, you know, being they're talking about banning him from Wimbledon if he doesn't publicly denounce Putin. Uh, there was um, a, uh, like a opera singer at the Met here in New York that was fired uh, because she wouldn't denounce Putin. And Candace Owens was one of the few people, blue check people with a lot of followers, who was saying very loudly, she was like, you know, the way we treat Russians is abominable. This is, the, you know, the, these are the type of scum that would advocate for something like Japanese internment. And I agreed with that. And when I showed that to some friends, you know, they said, okay, but that's because, you know, they're real. They really hate Chinese people. Now show me a tweet where she said that about Chinese people. And it was literally the next tweet. She's like, I don't care if you're Chinese or, <laughs> or Russian, but you know, this is all shit. So I think, you know, at first, I think with Tucker, you know, there's been talks about, you know, okay, he's more, this is really like poning the libs or this is really about, you know, let's get on board with Russia so we can go d- destroy China. But part of it is, and in and, and some interactions with just regular non-blue check people that I've had on Twitter, suggests to me that there's more at play here among this right-wing libertarian uh, group that they might actually be digging into a bona fide anti-interventionist, strongly anti-war populist movement. 
And I was talking to a guy, for example, who lives in West Virginia and said, dude, you don't understand, but people here fucking hate war. Have you guys seen that tweet? I don't know if it's actually real, but they have this uh, level of approval for war based on income level. And it's like the the poorer you are, the more you're like less interested you are in going to war. And all the people who are, uh, you know, that scene in Gone with the Wind where you got the the Southern Plantation people like all gung ho for the Civil War. It Mm -hmm. kind of looks like that. It's all the it's all the rich people. Uh, uh, well, difference is they're not actually going to go fight, but they're the ones who think this is going to be glorious and um, affirming. Like, I, I think that's another thing with with like liberal America. It's just been thinking L after L for, for ever since like 2016, and this finally seems like we're we're getting uh, a little comeback here. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think I think there's more to it than just you know because a lot of times when I bring up either Tucker Carlson or. Um, uh, Candace Owens, people will say, you know, broken clock is right twi- twice a day, that kind of thing. Uh, and I think that's, a, I personally think that that is, again, liberals and left-leaning people dismissing uh, the populist, uh, the the populist nature of a lot of Americans right now that um, I, I think they're ahead of the curve to say like, wait, no, like anti-war is a bona fide um, political belief among like a large segment of people now. I mean, I think people forget 2016 too much, but like a lot, but like, I do remember when Trump was campaigning, I mean, the guy was a contradictory mess, but he also campaigned on like anti-war positions. He said, George Bush invasion, George Bush's invasion of Iraq was a huge mistake. And it was a bad, it was a really bad thing to do. And that's probably one of those things that won him the, uh, like nomination and the election. Yeah, and I do think that I'm a little bit different from other leftists in the sense that um, I started out as a libertarian um, politically. Like I was always anti-war, but like I, I back then in high school, I thought like socialism was really bad. So being liberta- right-wing libertarianism seems to be the only anti-war position that made that seems to make sense at the time. And I do think many right-wing libertarians start off with an anti-war, a, ge- a genuinely sincere anti-war commitment. So, um, depending on how people live their lives and like what they study, I guess they could reach different conclusions about ideology and stuff. But I do think many right-wing libertarians are there from a genuinely anti-war perspective. So I don't really dismiss, um, them as insincere just because they're right-wingers. I'd agree with that. I, I, I strongly agree with that. I think anti-war is, is, uh, anti-interventionism is heavily baked into their foreign policy views. Yeah. It, it annoys me when people on the left dismiss it because I'm like, you're just surrendering ground to them. You know, they're going to win out on this issue if the left keeps mocking uh, and, and and saying like, oh, this isn't sincere. These people are just, you know, uh, trying to pwn the libs or they're mad about Russiagate or something. I, I, I mean, I think Tucker Carlson and Candace Owens don't really strike me as right wing libertarians. So if I'm being honest, I, I do kind of agree. A no, little they're bit, hustlers. They're, they're, they're media hustlers, but they appeal to that demographic, I think, you know. Yeah, I think uh, they're pandering. And they know what to do during this time. Yeah, in, in that David French article, he pretty much just says uh, they're, they're just a bunch of rubes being contrarians. They're just doing the opposite of what they think the elite liberals are doing. There's probably some grain of truth uh, with some people, but um, you know they also have they're they're not just purely some kind of like computer program that just automatically reflexively <laughs> does the opposite. No, I mean, you know, it's, 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 I mean, you got to think about it this way. Like Chris, like you're that whole area you live in, um, all those apartment blocks that comprise, you know, 
um, you know, like Stytown and all that stuff. Like they were built post-war specifically to house uh, vets coming yep. out com- coming out of World War II. That's what we used to do. We, we 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 used to you know we used to like really plan for vets. Like they were treated, you know, um, they were treated well when they came back from war. Now it's like they come back and they're just like, fuck you. The VA system's broken. They're completely traumatized from PTSD. They like get hooked on drugs. So many homeless are former uh, military and we don't give a fuck. Like we're not building mounds, mounds of like housing projects to, to, for them to live a nice middle class stable life when they come back from war. No, fuck you. Um, and I think two plus decades of doing this, uh, you know, it's going to show up in the attitudes of people, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the people in the military have a oddly confusing and sort of unpredictable uh, political beliefs. I think I remember reading somewhere into twenty twenty that I think that the military people were like the the candidates that people in the military donated most was actually Bernie Sanders, which is not exactly what oh, I was really? expecting. Interesting. So, um, and I do, and I do know that like a lot of people. I mean, I'm not. I can't say this for everybody, but a lot of people joined the military not for any like sincere belief in like defending democracy abroad or anything like that but just because uh of the benefits that they give them and the lack of opportunities they had in their lives and like i remember seeing a lot of popular tiktoks where like people would just like ask them ask these random enlisted people like what they would want to tell the recruiters and all of them oh, remember was that like, yes was like fuck you <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i love that video <laughs> it was it was pretty funny yep. yeah i mean they got you get entrapped into going to the military you know they like they make it set, like they have really slick ads and they make it sound like, you know, all your like Counter-Strike and Call of Duty fantasies are going to come true and, you know, whatever. And then you get there as like a grunt and your life fucking sucks and you can't get out and you're living a life of like hyperdisciplinary and domination. And then, you know, half the time they don't even fucking make good on the promises they, they make to you anyway. So, um, yeah, I can see that the, you know, but or this this sort of like abstract you know liberal peacenik stuff is nice i think you know there is like a general sense of like oh yeah we liberals like peace and whatever but it never translates into, into real action because it's more of like a i think a moral virtue signaling uh but for people who have actually been through the grinder of like being enlisted and then actually serving and all that shit um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think they're like, that's one of their top priorities is to be like, yeah, we can't, this, this needs to fucking stop. You know, yeah. I think people, um, don't realize like how much, I think a lot more politically aware or engaged people don't often forget how ideologically incoherent the average person really is. Like they don't, they have, if they have a very eclectic and idiosyncratic range of views on many different topics. And just because like someone necessarily like for example identifies as a liberal doesn't necessarily mean they're going to have liberal opinions on practically everything um they can have very contradictory and reactionary opinions as well and i think that's why studying different ideologies or thinking about things carefully it kind of leads to more predictability in a sense because like you're following a consistent rationale but for most people they don't really they don't really read works of political literature they don't really think about things like that so that's why they're a little bit much more hard to predict and that's why i it may seem like we can just dismiss right-wingers as like not really caring about anti-war, even though it's certainly possible and many of them actually are sincerely. 
anti-war. But I think liberals, they just seem to have a very loyalist part, like rally around a flag type of mentality. Like if their leader is being attacked, they're going to start defending him. They're going to start saying like, oh, like when Biden uh, was supposed to give out $2,000 checks, like they started saying like, oh, no, he he meant to say 1400 plus 600 and some other nonsense, like mental gymnastics like that. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think it's because Liberals, like it's not like liberals have always been that, def- uh, you know, defensive of their leaders. I remember, like, say in two thousand, like, you know, Democrats, like the, you know, they, nobody really liked Al Gore, and and then when when he lost and like capitulated, they were like, whatever, this this guy sucks anyway. But I, I think back then, like, I think liberals still felt pretty secure, ascendant. Um, maybe not so much in the in the in the depths of the Bush years. But I, I think at this point, as I said, they've been taking some pretty big L's. They've been on a big losing streak to the point where like Joe Biden, whom nobody uh, like in the party even like deigned to fake respect, like in the primaries. Now they really want to turn him into like, I don't know, uh, some kind of like great warrior president kind of thing. And it does seem like a lot of coping. There is another article in The Atlantic called um, Why Can't the West Admit That Ukraine Is Winning by this guy, Elliot A. Cohen. He's like some professor and I think think tank guy. It's all about, and and the, the subtitle is, the West has become too accustomed to thinking of its side as stymied, ineffective, or incompetent. Again, it's it's this like wounded pride and like, at last, uh, our, our moment to shine has come, especially after like Afghanistan in the summer. I always think of this like gif of... Uh, uh, Al Bundy, where he's like doing his old football, uh, football toss pose, you know, oh, yeah. four touchdowns in one game, four. <laughs> and, um, you know, that high school football game for Al Bundy was like World War II for America. And I think mm-hmm. um, there is, you know, like, I think there from the 90s, there was, uh, fr- from my perspective, I think in the, from the 90s, there was this growing uh angst and on you know some kind of some kind of like soullessness that people felt in america we, we you know it was the it was the end of history guys right it was 90s and we didn't have a great war to fight and it looked like you know the moral you know the, the years of like moral greatness were behind america and we were just becoming this sort of like consumer society or whatever and i think now especially with like liberals that have come into power uh they're they're sort of there's a bad i think there's a bit of a like a mental psychological uh revisionism going on to that and they're they're looking for their great war and i think that they clearly sense this need for us to have a simple black and white good versus evil uh narrative that gives not not just like distracts us from the stuff that they don't really want to do like healthcare or whatever but i think it's it's not even that cynical i think it's more actually delusional where they're like no this is like what america the, what we're really about this is our this is our moment for greatness is to it, it, and that's why i think they compare putin to hitler because they're like this is that high school football game this is world war 2 again we are the ones that have to save the world, you know, our, uh, our cohort, us today, this is our mission. And I think it gives people like McFall, you know, a real sense of purpose. 
Um, and I think that's I think that's a that's part of it. It's not just pure. I'm not a big believer in just explaining everything in politics as pure cynicism, where you know everyone is really just about you know um, going to the trow of you know more Pentagon spending or whatever. And you know a lot of these guys are people aren't actually very rich, um, and so I don't think they're necessarily motivated by money. I think a lot of them are useful tools, useful leaders. They really believe that this is our um, World War II moment, you know, and they're excited about it. I that, think that's um, even more troubling. I think someone on Twitter pointed out um, to me that like it's not really World War II that's re- that really that's that motivates them. It's the American romanticization of what they thought they of what they think they did during World War II. Well, of course, Be- of course, because yeah, um, yeah. I think not. I'm I'm sure some of our listeners already know this, but um, the Soviet Union actually won World War II. I think like close to four fifths of all Nazi casualties were fought on the Eastern front against the Soviet Union and Western leaders like Winston Churchill um, acknowledged that it was the Soviet Union, the Red Army that really defeated Nazi Germany. And I think a lot of people forget that because like we watch so many movies like Saving Private Ryan and like that's all people know. And like, (laughs) so I think even we were the big winner. We were the big winners in the sense like they they did all the work, but we took all the spoils. Oh, yeah. Like, I think part of the reason why um, uh, the West, Western countries, like, didn't really want to form an anti-fascist alliance with Stalin when he proposed it to them, because not many people not many people know about this, but Stalin had actually proposed an anti-fascist alliance to France and Britain um, before they signed a non-aggression pact with Nazi Germany. And they he, he proposed doing a preemptive strike with over with around a million Soviet troops to attack Nazi Germany before they before Hitler gets out of control, but um, there's like there's some document there's there's some historical books that I read that I can't recall the name but they were but basically the U S didn't really want to do that because they wanted uh, Nazi Germany to attack the Soviet Union and basically like have them both weaken each other and then the U S could just swoop in and take the spoils for themselves which is essentially what happened so it was. A brilliant strategy if you want to ignore the moral heinousness of that. Yeah. I want to ask these people, because like before this happened, Xi Jinping was was Hitler to them, right? Now now Putin's Hitler. So I want to ask them like so who's who's the worst Hitler? And and some of them are now like <laughs> telling China, like, you know, it's not too late to be you know part of the, the good guys, you know, just just denounce the the invasion and and you know, you can be our friends. We can be friends. I don't know. It's just like it just throw it around so just carelessly that it's it's hard to take them seriously because it's it's like oh, oh hitler of the day hitler of the day um whatever and it's just yeah. i think they're i think it's you know i think it's like what kamala harris did you know when they when she was on that uh morning show or whatever where she was ta- trying to trying to explain what was going on in ukraine in like layman's terms and she was like okay so you got like a big country which is <laughs> russia and then you got a little country which is ukraine and the big country wants to take control of the little country, and that's bad. Like, I really think that that she she did what the the Democrat and the liberals like to do. But I don't even want to say liberals, but I would say like the mainstream of America at this point, right? Um, which is a liberal dominant culture, but they really like to boil stuff down into like children's level narratives, like really easy to digest. Very simple, good versus bad, no nuance. The more nuance, the, the worse it is. It just confuses people. 
you just want a simple big country good, uh, big country bad, little country hero, you know, David versus Goliath, you know, whatever, whatever like pre-existing stories you have in your head, that's what's going on. And and that's why they got to make the comparison to Hitler. You know, it's it's not a serious one. It just makes things easier to understand for people. And I think that's I mean, it's it's been a recurring trope. I remember um, Bush saying something similar, some, saying similar things about Saddam yeah, Hussein. All, like, I don't think but the axis of evil and all the liberals jumped on him for basically being uh, a moron, a, a childish monkey. Uh, they call him all sorts of names for that. And it, that's why I find it really interesting that apparently now more uh, Republicans are, are skeptical of this, like, war thing than democrats and the democrats are the ones who really really want this to be some like lord of the rings type of conflict i mean i think i think you guys hit on something very important i do think that liberalism is a very how do i say it it's a very evangelistic ideology like they think that anyone else who does not support liberalism has committed a moral sin and you can't really be evangelistic unless you believe that you have something better to offer people than whatever they cur- whatever you th- currently think whatever you think they currently have. And for example, like a lot of Democrats, like they're there's okay, I can't I can't really knock on them too much because I also have a very smug approach to things at times, but that's mainly because I'm mocking people who are also very smug. But anyways, I'm not I'm not getting into that. But anyways, like like they think like. Trump supporters are a basket of deplorables. Republicans are all stupid, uneducated idiots who, um, like, all like inbreed with their relatives or something. And like, they 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 share very like condescending stuff. And like, if you look at our societies, like since the seventies, like with with neoliberalism running rampant, um, like the stack the living the standard of living for Western countries, like especially in the U.S., like it's been stagnating or worsening. But whereas, like we see, like the star of another non-white country, like China, rising, and their standard of living clearly surpassing ours in certain ways, like their public infrastructure, for example, like high-speed rail in China, and like people like Bill Maher see this, and like, um, they're it's sort of like causing like a crisis of confidence, and like they're wondering, like, wait, are we actually better? And like, if they're if if they're not better than someone, they feel like they're lacking something. And I think Michael McFaul is actually the perfect example of this because I'm not sure if you guys remember this, but Michael McFaul actually DMs like random people with like low Twitter followers, like in the hundreds, where he has like several thousands, and he's just DMs and like talking about like, all his money and like all his achievements. But, like, bro, like, what? Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does, yeah. He, does he understand that that is permanent? Like, you, like it, this is <laughs> like whoever he sends that to now has that forever if they choose. Like. <laughs> It's just really it's, cringe, and like if you really had like this confidence in yourself, you wouldn't feel the need to like bother to like respond, reply to people, and like DM them talking about all your accomplishments and like how you feel like you've accomplished things, and while they haven't, like it's just it just looks really pathetic, and it's just really he just strikes me as a very insecure man in general. I think mm-hmm. this this has been this has been an interesting uh, uh, event this the you, the war in Ukraine because I like. It, it, it's clarifying for me to a degree. Like, you know, Josh, like with uh, McFall, uh, he had this tweet uh, where he said, like, okay, here's one way to think about what's going on. Imagine if China invaded California and said that, you know, like, <laughs> and I was like, all right, this whole thing's fucking stupid. And 
Kaiser Kuo, who had retweeted that and said, oh, Ambassador McFall, I really respect you. You know this. But oh, I feel like you, <laughs> but I feel like, you know, you have assumed that the, you know, your audience has bought into the sinophobic tropes that you've employed here to make your point. You know, kind of trying to talk them off the ledge of sinophobia, but otherwise I'm fine with what you said. And I was like, I, that for me, and I, I've had issues with Kaiser's like sort of cringe liberalism and his in his sort of, I'm uh, frankly suck uppy type uh, persona. He's but that was my last. That was my last straw, man. With him, like I, I like him as a human being, but like when I saw him like suddenly turn into a little pussycat, when I know that he is a very sharp tongued person in private. To watch him become like a little pussycat for a guy like Michael McFall, I'm like, you're hopeless, dude. You're fucking hopeless. So I just, I, you know, like, I, I'm just like, I, I'm not even playing, pretending to be nice to this person anymore. So it was just thing where I'm just like, it, for me, it's a litmus test. It's a huge litmus test for how people are responding to this. And when people just go all in doing this Hitler shit, it, I'm like, there is, there is some huge fundamental difference between me. And the people who are like resisting this and the people who are just like not just falling for it, but like eagerly, enthusiastically falling in line with this black and white narrative, this good versus evil narrative that I just find intolerable, you know? Uh, Josh, I think you you were you wanted to like say something in the middle of that. Oh, I, I didn't quite catch it. Could you repeat it? Oh, I just said that. Kaiser Quo seems very obsequious to me. I didn't really mean to say anything else. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. So, Josh, I don't know how you feel about that, but like, you know, as as these, uh, I mean, this is to me like just the latest in a series of events where the U.S. Americans as a people have started to become un- almost unrecognizably um, pro-war, pro-conflict, pro-domination. I don't know what to call it. Wait, wait, wait. Americans as a whole, or are you talking about like, like liberal Americans? America as a in as as sort of as a as a blurry whole. I'm not saying every single one of us, obviously, but 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 America's good, always been kind of like that. Yeah, but it's gotten to the really delusional levels of craziness. Oh, okay. No, I mean, like for example, like I think, uh, yeah, I mean, we do shit like that. But I like you know even even I would say with Iraq and Afghanistan and to an extent Libya and Syria, there was some notion of like, you know, let's, let's, uh, you know, let's have a think about this. Well, there were huge <laughs> not protests. Was, there were huge protests. Yeah. And in this case, I don't know if it's because we're not a part- direct participant in this war or whatever, but like, it, it just seems so much more like we're just in, and with China, the same thing. It was just like this increasingly un, unhinged you know desire for some big cataclysm and it's fucking creepy and i i i feel like if that's not contained i don't know josh i i feel like we are heading towards um uh i don't want to say world war three but i think we're we're heading towards something pretty fucking bad if we're not there already well that is part of the reason why i write about Write, write and tweet about these topics so often. It's not because I have a particular hard on for Russia or China. It's just simply because I don't really feel like getting into World War Three. I mean, I'm fairly young. I'm under thirty. I want to live my life. I don't want to worry about getting nuked or anything. So, um, <laughs> right, right. No, I agree. I mean, I think this is 
if this is uh this is more this is now no longer about what happens to a group of people in a part of the world that we will know never visit or know but this is about like america turning into like a seriously fucking scary country and and me you know us living within it <laughs> and like what you know i mean i feel i feel like i mean i was really young during the 90s i was like what like i was born in the 90s i was born after the soviet union collapsed but from what i read in history books i hear that like there was people were expecting some kind of peace dividend like oh they won the cold war now like let's see my standard of living improve because now we don't have to fight divert to divert resources to fighting this uh soviet communist threat but um the military spending never really went down too much they just kept nato up they kept doing what they're doing and like they won this big conflict but they got they had really almost nothing to show for it in a sense and like now like even that's starting to go away like with inflation like their standard of living is declining and now they're looking for some sense of purpose and i think if your only source of information is coming from the western corporate media um they kind of they kind of make people think that like um your the average american's material interest is aligned with the people of goldman sachs or the people of the biden administration even though they don't give a damn single fuck about the average american but they want to make people think that they're invested in their interests too, that their interests are also our interests. And um, with the Biden administration failing to deliver on any of his campaign promises, it seems like a very natural diversion to focus on foreign threats like Russia and China. Yeah. Speaking of China, I mean, this is just a hunch. I get. I, I, I be curious to hear your guys' thoughts. This all just feels like kind of like a, a rehearsal, like this public, I, I feel like everybody knows that you know, America's at best stagnant, uh, in reality, probably definitely declining. And this like big clash with China, whether it's going to be, um, you know, a military clash or more like an economic slash cultural clash is happening. And people are like really scared of it because for one thing, we're like hopelessly out of practice with any like big scale conflict. And suddenly this happens. And this is like, this is kind of easy because it, it is kind of like the Cold War, except Russia is like this like withered old like shell of its former self. And I, I see like these ridiculous um, targetings of Russians, like no more like Rachmaninoff concerts. You're not allowed to read um, <laughs> Dostoevsky, uh, this this like Russian pop stars band from, from. And it's like easy because like they could be like, well, you know, this is not racist. Uh, it's a bunch of other white people, a bunch of other Europeans. And and it's like it's 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 exercising that like kind of muscle for when we're gonna really need to do it against an actual. And I think they underestimate Russia. I mean, we saw it with Obama. I think they never really got over that. Even with the Russia Gate thing, it it made it seem like it was a bunch of like you know almost like pranksters. Uh, these like I don't know these guys uh, just hacking into Facebook or whatever. So I I think I don't think they take Russia that seriously as a threat. This is like a really nice. It's like it's like a boxer come out of retirement you got to wail on the easy target before you you go up against uh you know the, the mayweather or pacquiao or whatever you you go against the guy who's a little too old or a little too fat or something i don't know that's just the sense i get i mean i think i remember teen talking about this on twitter sharing talking about the putin interviews that he watched with oliver stone i'm i'm currently making my way through the ebook right now and i remember uh, oliver stone asking him like if um putin's offended by the constant like 
of U.S. Amer- of American politicians campaigning on Putin being like Hitler and like all these like um, incendiary rhetoric. But he, it's kind of funny. He kind of just brushes it off. Oh yeah, I kind of expect that from them. Like, and they'll they'll call me and tell me like, oh, that's just how we campaign. Like, don't take it too seriously. But I mean, it's kind of hard not to take it too seriously when it's leading to serious conflicts like this. But I also do think that um, like there's this like you you guys mentioned earlier that there's like the surprising amount of like jingoism that like it seems like you guys already thought that America was pretty jingoistic, but it's even more than you expected. And I think I've recently started thinking about this. I think there's a subconscious awareness. I'm not sure Americans are fully cognizant of this, but like they're aware of like how incredibly brutal, like American society and the U S government can be on cracking down on dissenting opinion that doesn't agree with demonizing the official state enemy that the U S slash Western media wants to portray and for example like like people are just getting called like putin apologists or like russian propagandists even though like if you i'll actually look at a lot of the people who are critiquing the current western media coverage like they're not citing russian sources they're just citing other westerners who are critical of what the media is showing and like the government's um policies so they're not like they're not traitors they're just thinking critically about it and they're sharing a dissenting opinion but they're looking at the social media mobbing and they're looking at um, the China stuff like the China initiative and they know that like they could be in the crosshairs I'm not saying that they're fully aware of that but like I think there's a subconscious awareness among many Americans they want to like it's like sort of like boot looking like they'll lick the boot so that they can so they can avoid getting the boot later on because they see what the boot is doing to other people so sorry that's kind of a long time tangent but I think that's relevant to what we're talking about yeah, another oh, another thing sense. that's another thing that's relevant was Lavrov actually said kind of Chris like exactly what you asked. Uh, his his view is that um, uh, he said that building a world in which the West will lead everything with impunity and unquestioningly that's what they want. There's a lot of speculation that Russia is being pushed right now because it's the last hurdle to get past before China gets involved. Meaning, oh really? Yeah, meaning that um, the. Russia is sort of acting as this buffer between the U.S. and uh, and China, having sort of this you know ultimate uh, fight for world domination, which is to me ridiculous because I don't think China's doing that at all. They're 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 dominating trade, but that's a different kind of <laughs> thing, right? I don't like, even think Russia's interested in that. In, in a it, what? No, I, I, I definitely don't think Russia's interested. They're not capable of that even, you know, um, but in world domination, right? But I think Lavrov, his his view is like, you know, no, this is the Americans wanting to um, basically force Russia to pick a side here. And that will eventually, because like Russia can no longer act as the protector of China. We've got to get to China and get them involved somehow, which is exactly what's happening because like, you know, um, you know, suddenly the narrative for whatever reason became like China must fix this. China must condemn this. China, you know, this is all on China's shoulders now. <laughs> you know, and you're like, why? Why is it why would it be any more on China's shoulders than America's? <laughs> I don't know. Um the US had far more role in provoking this war than China did. So I think you're right. I think that there is definitely this uh China is the big is is probably like the big the big fish here that that they ultimately want to go fight. I mean, Russia is a big exporter of weapons, and they have a very highly trained 
military that has actually been in several conflicts, unlike the Chinese military, which hasn't seen combat since over 40 years ago. So, yeah, Russia is more of a military threat than China is. Because I remember looking at some defense analysis of China's military spending, and they're what they're what they're primarily investing is in like air defense systems. So like, but like China's investments in the military are pretty much useless, like outside, very far outside its borders and its direct territory. So they're not like, you could tell just by looking at their, what they're investing in, that they're not really interested in military domination. And you can look at Russia and like, they spend a lot more, a lot less money on the military than what the U S does. And I remember Putin actually telling Oliver Stone that like, yeah, like we get more bang for our buck because we're not doing stupid things like having 800 military bases around the world. Which actually takes up a big chunk of the U.S. DoD budget. Did you pick up on that? Did you get to the part where he says, uh, Putin says that okay, we can't match the uh, you know the the sort of like nuclear like the the, the ballistic missile advancements mm-hmm. um, of the U.S. So we can't match the U.S. for sophistication when it comes to nuclear weapons. He's like so. And he says it in that very like kind of disturbing Putin coolness. You know, he's very he's a very cool guy, right? And he's like, so we're gonna come up with something that's a little less pretty. It's gonna be a little rough, but it'll get the job done anyway. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be rough. <laughs> it's like, like you I know, mean, that's part uh, of the reason why Russia has invested in um, hypersonic missiles because. Um, so how like air defense missiles work is by like they have, it's like a bullet hitting a bullet. So if like for example Russia fires a missile, then the air defense system, quote unquote air defense system, is going to hit the missile and neutralize it in midair. But hypersonic missiles, um, they're just so fast they can't be intercepted. So instead of trying to match the U.S. Uh, with anti ballistic missile for anti ballistic missile, they're just going to build a super fast missile and just bypass all that directly, not even engage in a direct competition in that guard where the in that area where the U.S. already has the lead. So it's basically like, why would you compete with someone where you know that they have an advantage over you? You want to make them play to your play on your field, on your turf, and not bother engaging like dick measuring contests, like who spends more money on air defense systems? It's rather like, what do you get for your money? Like, what's, what bang for your buck do you get? And I think Russia and China are playing that game rather than the U.S. I think the U.S. has a lot of corruption. There's a lot of money grifting in the military-industrial complex. Like, they do things like the F-35, which is a gigantic waste of money and not very efficient aircraft, but it's a big uh, windfall and profits for the military contractors. Are hypersonic missiles the ones that kind of like change trajectory midair? Well, that's a that different kind them... of hypersonic missile. Oh, that's the one okay. that Russia has. So it's like not all hypersonic missiles can maneuver around like that. Wait, so Russia has the one that can or can't change like, they have both. like the trajectory? Okay. Cause, yeah, because I remember like it was just a few months ago that uh, supposedly China had had launched one and, and America uh, panicked over you know the then Hitler and and the then Nazi Germany of of last year before that tr- title was transferred to to Russia. All right, let me let me ask you guys a question. Shifting away from like the specifics of the actual events, which I got to say, like you know, there's so many experts out there. I don't really have I don't really consider myself like a particularly knowledgeable in any of this, but. I'm more concerned as just like a person living in America, right? Like, where does this go? I'm not talking necessarily just about World War III and nuclear exchange and stuff like this, but as a society, 
Um, I don't, you know, I'm sure you guys see this. I'm sure a lot of other people see it is like, we are becoming like a, the society is becoming less free. Um, the amount of, uh, censorship that's going on right now, like, you know, just the, the totally elimination of RT from America, the elimination of just like, you know, um, a, a, a ton of just dissent, like the, just the way like accounts on Twitter get wiped. Um, the sort of like open call for, um, suppression of political speech coupled with this sort of childishly naive, but also pro-war um, culture that's going on among liberals. Um, and let's not even talk about the Republicans because that's just, in, they're just insane. And we've known that for a while. Um, like, where where are we in you know five years? <laughs> Let's not even talk about ten or fifteen. But like, th- I just feel like things have gotten worse and worse progressively. Um, and so where do we end up? Because I think the scariest part of this is not like gaming out the war in Ukraine, but it's gaming out like American society. And I don't see us having the ability to back down from this, which is why I don't necessarily want to mock the Candace Owens and Tucker Carlson's of the world because they unfortunately are the only people that are speaking sanely right now. The ones are large platforms at least. Yes, that's right. Um, to be honest, I don't really see much hope. Uh, I'm a little cynical about the U S political system. I, I feel like if there is going to be positive change, it's not going to come from the political establishment or either of the two major parties. It's going to come from grassroots organizing um, to the extent that it's possible of changing things. Um, I think back then, like at the end of World War II, like the U.S. had, I think, more than half the world's wealth at the time. And I think remember a U.S. policy planner saying that the goal is to maintain this disparity between us and the rest. What? No, I, I just laughed because it just seemed like such a megalomaniacal plan. Yeah. So, no, they, they explicitly said that their goal is to like, maintain this disparity. We know that like other people are going to be resentful, but we want to build up our military so they can't do anything about it. And um but now, like, for example, like after World War II, like the U.S. had the Marshall Plan, like they actually like, I mean, the Marshall Plan wasn't exactly like this noble, like altruistic charity program, but like it was actually a form of investment and destroyed European countries. But now we're, but we're, but we're decades away from that. Europe is mostly rebuilt. Um, but now the U.S. doesn't have the resources that it once did. Like its share of global wealth has actually declined from its peak after World War II. And... Back then, like we actually had carrots to offer. We can't. We actually had material benefits for people who join us. We're going to shower them with with money and benefits, but we can't really do that anymore. So now all we have are threats um, and censorship. And I remember, and I think that part of the reason why we're having this extreme censorship is because the advent of social media did change things in a way, in the sense that like everyday people could see how the journalists they're getting the information from are are actually like on social media and the stupid shit they tweet out. <laughs> And yeah. like they're losing trust, and like the like if you see poll after poll saying that Americans don't trust their media anymore. So if they don't trust their media anymore, um, the corporate media is cheering the censorship because they don't want to be held accountable. Like you see, I mean, this is not exactly censorship, but you can see sort of see signs like this when like corporate journalists like hide like like for limit replies from people, so from strangers because they're going to get owned online, and they're just not confident they could have some substantive arguments and actually win. So the next best thing to do is to just silence your opposition. I think that's kind of what's going on right now. 
Yeah, Teen, you, you in the Discord, you, you you mentioned this thing called you're talking about Telegram and and these things. I like, could you want to talk more about that because I have no idea what that's about. Uh, yeah, there's like um, Josh, you know ASB, right? Um, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. It's like a it's like a kind of pro Russian um group that had a Twitter account and 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 would sort of like tweet sort of more pro Russian biased viewpoints i'm not against i'm not quote against bias i don't think there's such thing as something not being biased i think you need to know about bias and account for it but you need like multiple you need a diversity of biases right which is uh the reality uh and so they censored asb they got kicked off of twitter um and a lot of accounts that are getting kicked off of twitter are instead opening up a, a telegram channel which is a sort of like a think of it as just sort of like a direct Twitter feed. Um, you know, you just like get it straight from the source and, you know, you just go to that channel and it's like going to their Twitter feed. There's like news news feed as far as I can tell. Yeah. Yeah. And I noticed that like, once they got onto telegram, ASB became to me like even more biased and even more, uh, war propagandic and they were starting to post pictures of like Ukrainian corpses in the aftermath of like a one of those caliber missiles where I mean it's pretty horrific like it turns people into um, it, it turns people into like basic they look like roast pigs you know and um, they're posting these pictures and I just see like 1500 smile emojis you know and like some sick people will even do like heart emojis and stuff and I'm like this is why you don't want to censor because if you force people off, you know, it just gives them more uh, reason to isolate and disengage. And you just get these really terrible um, echo chambers. And it got so bad that ASB just closed down their uh, channel today. Uh, oh, wow. Like, yeah, we're not, like they we're really not doing close it down on their own? Yeah. They said, like, we're, this is, it's getting too dangerous. Because they're looking at the comments and it's just too deranged. Um. And just like too rabid, too pro-war, uh, you know, just, you know, th- 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 this is why like the, 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 this move to censor is just, it's just a bad idea. It's just another way of closing off engagement, you know? Um, so yeah, there, there's that. I mean, there's people who I think are too like into, I, like, let's face it. I think a lot of people are being entertained by this war. I mean, they like following it. They like following it along as if it's Game of Thrones. And every day they want to see like what the new developments are and what are the twists. And, oh, do you think you it's like a parlor game? Do you think you can predict what's going to happen in the next week? You know, all this stuff. And like if you watch the way the media covers it, they've all got war logos. And, uh, you know, I remember one Fox News segment ended with like, it never ends, folks. It never ends. As if that was like a promise. And I mean, it's... mm -hmm. Jess and I, we did, we did a bonus pod a couple of weeks ago on this, and yeah, I, I that's what I talked about. I, I, that's why I'm like I, I'm I'm not off social media, but I'm I'm not posting stuff anymore. I'm just like kind of consuming a little bit. But it's just it it was just very sickening. And you're totally right about the entertainment thing. It's like yeah, it, it, it's it's like that final season of Game of Thrones that never was, that never lived up to uh, it's it's you know people have been disappointed. The entertainment hasn't been that good in recent times, except for maybe Squid Game and who knows what else. The Witcher yeah. was very disappointing from what I hear. So this is this is great. This is, you know, and it feels so real. It's like reality TV and uh, a war epic all, all rolled up in one. Yeah. And I think, you know, I'm always curious, Josh, like, you know, because I'm, I'm surprised because I think you are probably in the minority in terms of like Asian people, like Amer- Asian American people 
in terms of their outspokenness on a lot of these geopolitical issues, particularly when it comes to war and violence. And I, you know, I've always been curious, like what separates people who are sort of like, you know, sort of like cavalier about it and, 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 and don't care very much, therefore are supportive of just like sort of spoon fed mainstream narratives about it and are somewhat entertained by what's going on versus people who are really motivated to, or, or, or like almost personally disturbed and affected by what's going on. I don't know what you think it is. I think it has something to do with um, like how we interpret war. And I think for uh, Asian people who are a little bit more aware of like our own personal histories, you're like, yo, this is the type of shit that like completely derailed, you know, our lives, uh, you know, in the past three generations. Like we've had to flee, uh, we've had to leave, we've had to relocate, we've had to cut off family ties. Uh, it was a, you know, like if you look into the past of Asian people in America, it's all been affected by war. Um, and so I think for people who think about that a little bit more, I don't know if that describes you or not, but like for me, I think having been taught about this stuff by my parents and seeing you know trying to understand war as like a thing that actually has in like has had effects on you um that it's just really sickening to see this sort of entertainment type gaze and this cavalier attitude and this simple good versus bad narrative which is an entertainment narrative applied to it it's sickening uh and it's it's but it's but it's it's metastasizing so it's it's like a horror show it's just, it's getting worse every day for me. <laughs> so I don't yeah, know. I'm not really quite sure how how to explain things. Um, yeah, I'm kind of disturbed by this too. It's not something I enjoy. Um, I don't know. I just feel like hmm, I'm not really sure what to say to be honest. <laughs> yeah, I, I I I'm just start. I was just starting to wonder what that gap is. Like, why is it that some people or so many people just seem to not see it's almost like there's too many things happening that are pointing that are there's too many signs going on you know like the 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 censorship i think is one big signal um, i don't think most people will will even notice it because most people don't even know any russian media outlets. they can't name any they don't watch any so like why would they notice something that they never even watched anyways yeah i mean that's true i guess i mean but it would be you'd have to be willfully blind at this point to notice to not notice the changes that are going on i think and it's it's this very like it's a it's it's a slow but tectonic shift meaning like it, yeah it's not happening overnight but it's happening all at once like it, it is and it's hap- it's it's you you can see there's a lot of energy and momentum behind this but the the, the you know the american culture and society is turning very fascist and uh very like just cruel and like wantonly violent i mean i think i I can't really speak for everyone else but i do know firsthand about like the asian american immigrant community i think most asian american immigrants are just focused on survival they're not thinking about politics they're not thinking about any deeper things they're just thinking about how can i take care of my family how can i make sure my 
children are set up for success in this um, world and we left asia because it was hard there or it was torn by western imperialism and um i think for some asian americans like i think there's a bit of incentive for denialism because they're like they tell themselves oh, well i remember directly arguing with an older asian american immigrant and they were telling me that like oh like don't tell me that america's bad or don't tell me that like um america lied to me about like what they're doing in in my insert Asian country because I invested so much in coming here. And if you're telling me that I did all that because I was tricked by American propaganda, like it would be too hard for me to bear. And that was just, I really didn't know what to say to that. I was very sympathetic. Um, I can't really, I don't really have the heart in me to like knock this person's uh, emotional investment into the idea of America and the West. And like, they want to be told that their suffering had meaning. They don't want to be told that like, it was, it was for something cynical, like uh, the West using like Koreans and Vietnamese to kill each other um, so that um, they don't really need to get more directly involved than they otherwise would. Because um, the Korean and Vietnamese wars were very convenient because America got Koreans and Vietnamese people to kill each other. And um, they don't want to be told that all that was for something. Are you, you're referring to like Korean soldiers in Viet, in Vietnam during no, the Vietnam Korean war. soldiers during the Korean War and Vietnamese soldiers in the Vietnam War. Um, because like yeah, because there were Korean soldiers in Vietnam too. Yeah, there that, that too. To. But like I'm saying, like people want to be told that their suffering has meaning. They don't want to be told that it was for something selfish and it was for completely fucked up purposes. And they don't really have the process to to the capacity to process all that and. I'm not really quite sure what to do with these people because I'm very sympathetic to what they're saying. I'm not particularly sympathetic because <laughs> <laughs> I'm of them, you know, I'm like, you know, we're of them. I mean, I, I'm like, you could do better than this. <laughs> You're going to have to, because I mean, look around. I mean, look at how they're treating, treating Asian people in America. Ultimately, denialism is not good, but I yeah. can at least understand where they're coming from. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I, 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 I think that that, is uh a dead end you know to to coddle that because their children end up becoming they're the, eventually like i think after like the second or third generation we become becoming more uh secure in ourselves and start to see past the you know the spoon-fed narratives yeah hopefully hopefully but yeah, color me disturbed. I have no way to end this other than to say, uh, Josh, good. I'm, you know, uh, you're one of my favorite accounts on Twitter. I'm very always curious about why people take the positions that they do, despite it obviously being not an easy position to take. Like, what motivates people to do that? That's the thing I'm most curious about. So no, I think I'm I glad just to have see a fanatical hatred of lies. <laughs> mm. You think principle. that's it? You think that's really it? You just you just hate you just love truth or. Is there... um, I mean, I don't want to like make myself sound too noble like that, but at least mm-hmm. that's just for my idiosyncratic reasons for why I do what I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's a good place to wrap it up. So, yeah, Josh, thanks for coming back on on Escape from Plan A. You should we should have you on more often. So, listeners, thank you for tuning in. We'll catch you soon. Next time. Until then, bye everyone. Mm-hmm.